When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Shadows are falling, and I've been here all day. It's too hot to sleep. Time is running away. Feel like my soul has turned into steel. I've still got the scars that the sun didn't heal. There's not even room enough to be anywhere. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the Freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining me once again is fellow network founder, Ryan Daly. Hi, Ryan. Welcome back. Thank you for having me back. It's been too long. Absolutely. Yeah, I noticed the last episode we did together for Pod Dylan was number 145, Shooting Star. So over 100 episodes ago. And we're kind of breaking new ground here, sort of, in that obviously Pod Dylan has had repeat guests. We do that all the time. And done repeat songs. We've done that before. We've covered the same song in multiple episodes. But I have never had a show where we're recovering a song with the same guest we did the first time. That's never happened before. So you should be proud of yourself, Ryan. You're breaking new ground here on Pod Dylan. Yes, we talked about Not Dark Yet in episode four of Pod Dylan. <laughs> now, when no was t- that exactly? What, what was, when, like, how, what year was that? 2016. 2016. Okay. It was, it was recorded on a kinescope. So no one can access it anymore. <laughs> so, uh, but of course, in all those years, seven years ago, since, you know, in the intervening seven years, We've we've all gotten seven years older. Uh, we, we lived through a pandemic. Uh, we've all gone through a lot of stuff. So we might feel a little differently about this song than we did in 2016 when we were just bright eyed and bushy tailed. And of course, Bob himself has dropped two more alternate versions uh, plus a remix of this song. And so you wanted to you wanted to come back to talk about this song you know in the with your new eyes as it were so if i recall correctly because i'm lazy and i didn't go back and listen to our old episode this is your single favorite bob dylan song is that right it is it has been since i first heard it back in like 1996 97 97 yeah so i mean why what is it about this one that is that you would put it as numero uno um well i mean comparing it to the Bob Dylan that I had heard at the time, I mean, it was mostly the 60s and 70s, like er, early acoustic folk song. And part of it was just the, the musical expression, the, the, the production quality, what I would come to discover, like all of, all of the Daniel Lanois-isms about the hmm. song and the way it was produced and, and that whole, the atmospheric quality of the sound. Uh, was just unlike anything I had heard before, just like on a, on a sonic level at the time. Um, and the lyrics, just the, the melody, there was something foreboding about it. And, and uh, like, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll cop to also that I, I thought about going back and re-listening to our old episode and I chickened out. Yeah, no, um, don't, don't. I, I didn't, <laughs> I, I was like, I did, I'm such a different person. I mean, you listed all of the things on the macro level, but just on a personal level, I am such a different person than I was those years ago. And I'm also. You weren't a dad back then. That, that is a big, that is a big deal. But I am also just even like more exclusive to the music. Like I am, I am a particularly different listener of music. I find than I was just a couple of years ago. And I, I do remember when we recorded that. Overall, my impression. I remember being adamant that the song 
didn't have to be about death, like the predominant, like the, the prevailing theory about what this song is, that this inevitable sense of gloom and creeping in on, on finality about the song. And I, I try to reconcile that there might be a slightly more optimistic take that it could just be about the closing of a particular chapter in a life, that there might be something transitional about it, that it, because it's not, it's not dark yet, but it's getting there, that sense that, or, or not dark yet, that, that, that may be like uplifting part, the, the sense of the unreliable narrator that we have also talked about with the song most of the time that I really love. Right, right. Um, and that was a kind of key commonality between the two songs that I picked up on. But the thing is, at the time, that that was my impression of the song. I was filtering all of the lyrics and those couplets through my own lens, which you always do. But it was informed by my experiences. The thing is, the analysis that I gave you back in 2016 was really the exact same analysis I would have given 20 years earlier when I was a teenager experiencing the song for the first time. And it's as a teenager from a middle-class suburban family that hadn't led an especially difficult or challenging life <laughs> that that informed my impression but it also maybe just because i loved the song so much my opinion of it calcified there and cemented there and i have been living with the song and loving the song for two decades without challenging my impression of it my take my analysis and i probably never would have until I Dylan released Fragments, the the box set, which is the the new bootleg series with all of these outtakes and alternate versions of the Time Out of Mind sessions, and I was so excited to get it. But it, like as soon as I heard about it, the one standout thing was like when they had the announcement, they dropped it with this this video trailer and <laughs> and this song as almost like a second single was the called version one because it was like the 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 first demo like of not dark yet. Right. And as we will go on, as we will discuss at length, it is a profoundly different song and the impact it had on me, like a micro explosion in the gray matter under my skull. Like I just, <laughs> like I, I, I couldn't believe that these songs shared any common denominator, any, any, any history together. And then the more that I read them, I was like, this, it literally changed everything, like, about how I perceived the original song, the stu- the, the album version of the song, and what I thought about it. And I went through line by line, and I have just, like, this, this whole different take now. And we, we, we will get into it, hence why, like, I, I, I messaged you, I begged you. I was like, the first <laughs> chance you get, I need to dissect both of these songs side by side. <laughs> No, so you said, I, you know, it's wonderful that Bob can do that. And it's also, I little hate him a little bit that he can do that. Cause it's like, I like having my opinions of these songs locked in. And then Bob can be like, Oh, no, no, no. Here, here it is as a, as a marimba. And you're like, damn it. You know, that's, that's not, I was happy with the version I had, Bob. And now I found out that you're and, and, and I told version. you, like, I mean, we, yeah, we've also discussed like the whole album kind of in general on like one of the, uh, the last anniversary from that. Yeah, we did it. We did time um, out of mind at 20. Yeah, we did the whole thing on Yeah. That. And, and I, I didn't want to go back to that episode either just because I, I was like, oh, everything <laughs> I'm feeling is different. But now, especially like three of the songs from that album, I like better versions fr- from this box set now. Um, oh man. What is it? Uh, can't wait the version one of can't wait. 
I think is a thousand times better than the album version, even though I feel like you just took the music from a lovesick and put it under <laughs> can't wait like th- those vocals or something. But I just think that version is a whole lot better. Um, our, our favorite song, the, the wedding song, uh, make you feel my love. I think the alternate <laughs> take of that is better. I like the, um, Highlands version better. Um, interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I like, I like the alternate version of that one because I can hear the vocals. Like I always thought his, his vocals on the album version sounded like he was underwater and with it being <laughs> as long as it is, like that was a song that I, I frequently zoned out on. I, I struggled. Like, I mean, there, I, like I could understand the whole scope of the song and appreciate it that way, but just I struggled to listen to that song. But on the new version, the alternate version, I it I think it's I think it's better and it's easier to digest even. All right, well we're, we're going to talk about the remixes of of this song because again there is the you know is, there's the same song minus some of the Lanois-isms as you put it. But you you mentioned something a minute ago about that you listen to music differently now. What is that? What does that mean? Part of it. Uh, so uh, a few. Uh, how do I? <laughs> I mentioned so. <laughs> At the time, at the time of that we're recording this, um, I've recorded a uh, a David Bowie episode of Fire and Water Records. Mm. It'll come out at the end of March, um, and I kind of mentioned it was something that had occurred to me, like growing up, really discovering and falling in love with music in the nineties. I was per, I was I kind of I kind of um, cut my teeth on a, a sort of sound, a a stereo sound, this hard rock wall of sound with everything of like the kind of like hard rock like neo psychedelic like where everything just like kind of like felt filtered and fuzzy and crunchy and i just i think it, it's just it's a part of age of just like kind of growing up and the way your your tastes change and you sort of appreciate other genres other types of movies or or, or media and i i mentioned that i i had to train my ear to be a more mono listener and I think that's why, like, it, like, even though it's something that I always like, but like my favorite type of music now, and it, it's really been growing, is like the old, old R&B and soul, like the, the Motown and the Stax records, like era, the, the, those things. So the, and part of this is, is just like one of, one of the ways I've been sort of manifesting and culturing myself to this is actually getting a vinyl record player and trying to get, go back to, listen to less music digitally and, and kind of getting that authentic, more or, or organic feel of listening to music on records, even though it might seem like a pretentious hipster type of thing. I, <laughs> I don't care. I'll lean it. I'll lean into that. I don't mind. Um, but yeah, there, there, there's something about that. So the, the other thing about like this, uh, I mean, uh, like I've always said, like I, the, my favorite Dylan albums were the land produced albums were time out of mind and Oh mercy. And listening to this new version, the, the alternate mix version that comes out on Fragments that strips out a lot of the Lanois overdubs and some of like the, the more sweeping effects and arpeggios that he adds to the production quality and making it more bare bones and stripped down. I won't say I like it better, but I do really, really like it. And that surprised me that the thing that I thought I liked most about these two albums was what the producer contributed. And yet, you know, 20 years later, take that producer out of the mix. And I'm like, no, I still like this as not as, as much, if not maybe a little better. So that's just that. Yeah. That just 
that's kind of what I mean by just being a different listener and appreciating different types of sounds and different more authentic and and like stripped down mono type of of production quality. Interesting. I mean, regarding the record player, we we got one as a wedding present, and yeah, I've been doing the same thing. I've been <laughs> I've been putting records on that I own digitally, obviously, and I'm still putting them on because. And I I don't know. Is it? I don't know if it's pure nostalgia or it is that I do perceive some sort of oral difference. I don't know. I don't think my ears are sophisticated me, enough to pick it me, up. Like, what, the thing that I keep coming back to and I keep saying is, I wanted to. I, it's a means of engaging with the music on a more physical level. Yes. Like yes. just push, pushing, pushing a button on your phone or the computer or something. It, me, listening to music is already a passive experience. It's a passive uh, form of entertainment. I wanted something that I actually had to meet the artist halfway, even if it's something as stupid and simple as turning <laughs> you know, getting, having to get up off the couch and turning the record over every 15 or 20 minutes. You know, that's me, that may, that may be kind of dumb. And with records being as expensive as they are now, it could be really dumb, but it, it feels like it's more of an intimate personal connection and engagement with the music. And at this point in my life, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take that and <laughs> whatever I can get. Uh, yeah, I know. I have a, uh, I have an Albert Brooks album. I love Albert Brooks and I have one of his comedy <laughs> albums, A Star is Bought, that was never put on CD or digitized. And so I can only hear it as a vinyl record. I'm sure it's on YouTube, but I mean, I don't listen, you know, but I, I can't, I don't have it on my phone anywhere. And there's some part of me that doesn't want it ever to be digitized because <laughs> it's, uh, there is something about pulling out the sleeve. And putting it on and listening to it, and it's almost like, you know what? Don't take this away from me. Just, just let it exist on vinyl, and that's fine. You know, like, and I even have we're getting off topic a little bit. Why I have that 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 Woody Guthrie tribute concert that Dylan did, the first live appearance he made after his motorcycle accident. Sure. That yeah. uh that was for many decades not only available on vinyl. And I think it is on iTunes now. I think I could download those songs if I want to, but every so often I will pull that out because it is it's sort of like, well, that's how I that's how I encountered it for the first time. And that's all the access I had for it for years. So for some reason, I still feel the need to pull it out. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. It is, there is something to the convenience is, is so amazing nowadays, but yeah, there is something to just not being able to like hit a button and there it all is, as opposed to actually having to walk over, put the thing on, put the needle down, <laughs> do all that. You are kind of like, it's a it's a little bit more of a uh, uh, you know penitence kind of uh, action you know like okay here sure it's yeah. on uh, you know yeah uh, so I I totally understand what you're what you're saying there so that's interesting that you, you have to work a little differently. yeah 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 um as opposed as a, uh, regarding your theory about not dark yet and again we didn't go back to listen to that old episode don't anybody don't do that but I like the idea. And I'm sure I liked it then because I like it now that not dark yet is potentially not just about impending death. Cause first of all, you know, I've lived with this, I've lived with this record for 25 years. And so I was 26 when I got it. And that, mm-hmm. the, that, that whole notion of, well, it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. That was kind of academic at 26 for me because you're 26. Sure. Well, I'm 51 sure, yeah, now yeah. and it's a little less academic than it used to be. Yeah. So I like the idea of, yeah, it could be 
about something else. It could be about. But I don't think so anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, all right. Well, we'll talk yeah, about that. But I mean, but, but I listened to all the versions again over the last couple of days. And it's one of those things where I'm, I think I know kind of what Bob is going for, but I, as we've talked about on every, almost virtually every episode, it all depends on how you interpret it. And I like that interpretation. I like that idea that it could be about the closing of a chapter. Now it's a sad chapter because it's about, um, most of the albums, of course, you know, broken hearted and sad sack guy is, is relaying these songs about heartache. And there is some of that here, but it is more about a part of your life that's over and it's potentially a good, it's even potentially a good thing. You know, every new beginning comes from some other beginnings end, as Semisonic said. Um, and like you, I've had profound life experiences since listening to this song you know and Mm -hmm. it does inform the song in a little bit differently and i like that idea of saying well i'm this thing is closing and closing sometimes are inherently sad even if they're for the best but nevertheless i i there is a potential for a new beginning i mean the some of the songs on this record that are hopeful in the most bleak manner possible whether it's trying to get to heaven or highlands it sometimes it's a little hard to to navigate the the brightness out of them because it is such a bleak record. But I feel like it's there. I don't feel like Bob ever just does doom and gloom, like doom as the modern part, like doom scrolling. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't do that. I think he's there's always some level of hope in some regard in all of his songs in some way, even something as grim as this. But of course, when this sound song came out, the album came out, everybody took it as oh, this is a guy who's staring at the end of his life and of course we all knew bob got sick right after the record came out or just right, before the record right. came out there was all that and you know it felt like oh well he was you know wow he was all of uh 56 when he made this record <laughs> and then, you know and it, it, if anyone it, nobody nobody except for bob himself and maybe tony garnier if they had said to him he'll still be going 25 years from now and he will have produced half a dozen more records nobody would have taken that money nobody <laughs> everyone has had no chance no he's done this is probably it and now we're on the other side of again half a dozen records five all new original collections i mean it's ridiculous so uh yeah this song reads differently now than it did certainly in 1997 so is there anything else you want to say about the original version before we start talking about all the alts that we now have yeah, well, yeah, I, I kind of want to, uh, for this one, like, I, I primarily, with, with my new reading, I kind of looked at it, and, and I, I went with the, the Time Out of Mind version, the original version, and what is called on the, the set version one, and I laid those two sets of lyrics side by side to mm-hmm. try to compare them, um, and the, the music, obviously, we'll get into how, how different the music is, but lyrically, I think they paint slightly different portraits and i went with this i i took for at least for this assignment i was like okay let's say this song is about death and it is about that sort of sense of impending finality i think the distinction between the two overall is that the original time out of mind version is approaching death with a sense of resignation perhaps not welcoming but 
uh, just a sense of surrender or forfeit, almost like a passive suicide, like if you Mm. really wanted to get bleak into it. But I think the version one lyrics, if you think about it, it's the sense that it's death is coming, but maybe we're not giving up yet. Maybe we're going to actually kind of stay and fight this thing a little bit. Uh, There's a sense of resistance and I think it, part of it goes into when we get into the, the lyrics of like how the the version one seems to be speaking directly to an audience, perhaps an audience of one. But yeah, just indulge me for a minute as I just kind of go through my new scanned reading of the, the original one with the lyrics. Sure. Um, obviously, shadows are falling right from the top. That, that sets our theme overall that, you know, like uh, it, it, we're getting late. We're running out of time. Darkness right. in the end is, is encroaching. Feel like my soul is turned into steel. I've still got the scars that the sun didn't heal. Uh, he's grown cold to the world. It's a little bit emotionless. It's a hard life. There's suffering involved there. There's not even room enough to be anywhere. He has no place. He cannot find any sense of peace in himself. Uh, the next verse. My sense of humanity has gone down the drain behind every beautiful thing. There's been some kind of pain. It's, it, there's, it's very cynical, obviously. It's the sense of giving it that, you know, that, that nothing good comes, uh, like without a cost or without nothing good comes for free. And he's jaded the sense of humanity gone down the drain, like obviously. And then that follows up this idea. She wrote me a letter. She wrote it so kind. She put down and writing what was on, what was in her mind. If those two thoughts are connected, perhaps the reason he has grown so cynical and so pessimistic is because he just got this dear John letter or a breakup letter. Yeah, he he, he is, yeah, he's been heartbroken. He has been rejected. Is this the cause for that cynicism? Maybe. And now he's saying, I just don't see why I should even care. Again, sort of this idea of giving up. Again, this is where my mind first kind of went to. Is this, is there a suicidal quality to this song? I don't know if it's, it's as active as that, but, uh, the next, the third verse, then I've been to London. I've been to Gay Paris. I followed the river and I got to the sea. He's well traveled. He's had a lot of experiences. I've been down on the bottom of a world full of lies. Now, this is just my own little thing. Whenever I listen to the song, to me, it sounds like he's singing, I've been down at the bottom of a whirlpool. Yeah, of me lies. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you hear that? Okay. Yeah. So it's not just me. Yeah. Um, either way though, uh, I ain't looking for nothing in anyone's eyes. Again, world of lies or whirlpool of lies. Uh, there, there feels like there's a betrayal. Again, that rejection ain't looking for anything and ain't looking for nothing in anyone's eyes. Maybe that they're they, like, can't, can't trust anymore. Can't find that human connection or that emotional sense. I've also got it in my notes. That line, I ain't looking for nothing in anyone's eyes. He uses that line in Till I Fell in Love with You, version three, elsewhere on the box set. <laughs> so he had that song for, a, he had that line for a different song at one point. Uh, sometimes my burden is more than I can bear. Uh, again, it's too hard to go on living. He is broken. He is defeated. Final verse. I was born here and I'll die here against my will. Suicide or maybe a sense of execution or just like this inability to escape the trappings and the hardships of life. 
Um, I know it looks like I'm moving, but I'm standing still. From the outside, everything seems successful. He's famous. Everything is A-OK. But inside, he's in a bleak depression. It was certainly common of, of artists and, and successful people. We've seen that. Every nerve in my body is so naked and numb. Same thing with that. Um, and that, yeah, this is where he kind of changes the couplets a little bit. I can't even remember what it was I came here to get away from. That, I don't remember what my original take on that, but when I was looking at that line just today, it felt like he might have been, I, I guess my, yeah, my interpretation of that could be when he says, I can't even remember what it was I came here to get away from. I don't even remember why I started writing this. Like, I don't remember what my original point was. It's just so <laughs> buried under this despondent sense of, of despair and helplessness. And then this idea, I don't even hear the murmur of a prayer. There's no hope, no chance for salvation. So, <laughs> overall, this this reading of the, the is a bleak, dark, depressing song about somebody who is just, and, and maybe this was what Bob was going through, or as we also know, Bob sometimes writes from the perspective of a character. And maybe, and since we know he continued going out for another quarter of a century, I think we can say, we can probably assume that Bob was just putting on a character maybe that was at this wretched, bleak part of his life that might have been contemplating death as this as this like as an out that he cannot escape but in particular before we move on to the next version that penultimate line don't even hear the murmur of a prayer that i think is part of the main difference between these two versions uh that that sense of not hearing the prayer because this version is a secular version and version one that we're going to talk to is very much not. It is much more spiritual and much more overtly religious in its tone. When you when you just reread these one, lyrics, when you just reread these lyrics, it's so funny to think that, of course, this was then the song they decided to make a video for and put out as a single. This is, <laughs> yeah, you know, so- this is I. I mean, I I can appreciate the idea of putting your best foot forward in terms of. Uh, you know, like let's let's find the best out song on the record and put that out because you know. But at the same time, it's like really, this was the single. This was the one that <laughs> the video for. Um, okay, I, I mean, in, in the booklet, in the booklet that comes with fragments, one of the, it's got a couple of different essays, uh, and I know you you talked to one of the writers. Yes. One of them mentions that this song is one of his most beloved contemporary songs. That it uh, is. Like the, yeah. a lot of people champion this. I didn't realize that until I was reading this. I I kind of thought I this was I was like, oh yeah, I I like this deep cut. You know, no nobody thinks of not dark yet. But I was like, oh okay, I guess I'm in good company that everybody likes this one. But it got put yeah, on the, the three fact- best of collections since time out of mind. The essential Bob Dylan, the best of Bob Dylan, and Dylan. Mm-hmm. It's on every single one of those. So yeah, it was yeah. you know, and again they made a video for it for Pete's sakes. I don't mm-hmm. know how much we talked about the video first time around. I I looked it up. The the director of it is a guy named Michael B. Borofsky who worked with, uh, who's done a lot of video stuff. He did something with Johnny Cash, the Pixies. His next project right after this was something with NSYNC. Imagine that. Uh, and he also, uh, <laughs> okay. he also, and he also directed the Gotta Serve Somebody, the Gospel Songs of Bob Dylan documentary, which you can okay. find on nice. YouTube. So, I mean, so that, you know, he's obviously got a little bit of further connection to Bob. And I like the video. It's just, it's a, it's a beautiful video. 
and it's very mournful and it bob looks great and the band looks great and it's really pretty but i just I, as much as i love the song and i think it is a masterpiece i think it is one of his late period although as bob himself would refer to as the early period of bob dylan i guess at a certain point i just, I again i just think about it like really they made a video for this like really like it just seems so purposely perverse uh although the, bob has been known to do that uh and then now of course as we'll talk about the there's now two videos for this song. <laughs> yeah. but anyway, yeah. okay so that's that's the original version that is the yeah. you know rough stuff rough right. stuff a guy i love the idea of I don't even know why I started this. I love that idea of like, I'm writing this song. We have a, a, for anyone who listens to Pod Dylan, but doesn't necessarily sample the rest of the network's offerings. Uh, we have someone who leaves frequent comments who I think their comments are like that, where by the time they get to the, the 17th paragraph of their comment, they're like, why did I even start this? What is, what's happening? So I get, I probably, I, I really appreciate that particular, uh, n- n- notation in the lyrics there. Yeah. Also, also, if you've been listening carefully to our discussion so far, the younger Ryan that was a, the much the much younger podcaster Ryan of 2016 had a much more charitable impression of this song's overall meaning yeah, when I was man. a kid. Woo. Now, as a father and as a survivor of the Trump administration, I'm like, it's just suicide note. It's just like, <laughs> kill me now. I'm, I'm walking into the waters and letting the tide take me out. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> but, but as I said, version one, the, the, which is curious because like, so this was the earlier version that Daniel and actually liked, according to the essays in the book. Like, this was the one that he thought would be a hit. And Dylan wanted to change it. Dylan wasn't satisfied with this version. Um, so curious, but so it starts off the, with the, it's the same opening verse, except at the very end, before he says it's not dark yet, he's speaking to somebody. Now, in the lyrics that I looked up for the first two verses, it says he's saying a lot, as in, I'm assuming the biblical lot. But on the second two verses, he's saying Lord, like he's speaking to God. Mm-hmm. I hear the same thing when I listen to the song. I I don't know why there would be a difference between the two. Do you hear any difference? Not that I noticed that. I mean, obviously, the version one, the, according to the notes in the box set, version one was recorded on January 11th, 1997. And then the version two, which is lyrically much closer to the the final version was recorded on January 18th, 1997. I'm kind of amazed in just in the space of seven days, he reworked it as much as he did. Cause I jotted down a bunch of the new lyrics as well. And there's, there's way more of them than I sort of remember. It's not like fragments came out even all that long ago, but I, when I listen to the, the, the alternate versions and especially version one, which again has all these different lines, I was like, Oh, there are a couple lines are different. And then as I was jotting it down here for posterity's sake, I'm like, my God, there's like three whole verses yeah. that are different. Two and a half I mean, verses are completely yeah, different. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that I find that yeah. amazing. So anyway, so, okay. Yeah. So you, you hear Lord in there 
in the alternate yeah. one, right? Okay. Yeah. Lord, Lord, it's not dark yet, it's, but it's getting there. And this coming along with, I mean, first, obviously, once you, as soon as you press play or you drop the needle, the first thing you hear is the music feels completely different. It is up tempo. Tempo. There's yeah. more of like this driving. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're just like, is this, this is kind of a fun song. And it's <laughs> like, there's a, just by nature of that, that different tone and that's that tempo, you feel like it's a little bit more uplifting, a little bit more optimistic. And I think the fact that he ends each verse now with Lord, it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. I feel like that says that like time, time is like, there's almost a call to action there. Like it's a difference. If I say we're running out of time, or if I say, Rob, we're running out of time. Mm. Like, now there's an onus on you to do something about it. Mm. And I think that's, that's in part what he, he might be telling God. He's like, I'm like, I'm close to death, but hey, can you, can you give me a, can you give me a little bit longer? I'm, I'm running out of time and there might be, uh, there's still stuff that I, I want to do or, well, we'll, we'll kind of get into it. So the first verse, pretty much the same. Second verse starts off the same sense of humanity gone down the church. So he starts off with that same cynical couplet. Um, but then he says, just being in the same country as her is making me blue. I got nothing left over from the love that we knew. Okay. Different than she wrote me a letter. She wrote it so kind, but still kind of this idea of, okay, maybe what's made him so cynical and so broken is a breakup, a lost love, the sense of heartache. And, and maybe there's a woman at the center of this, this sense of depression and despair that I, I get the same overall sense of, okay, I know what he's going for. I like the lyrics a lot better in the, the final version. She wrote mm-hmm. me a letter, that version. This feels to me and I, I am, you know, reluctant to criticize Dylan as a writer. This feels like a first draft type of line. And it's, I would only ever say that because I can, I have a direct comparison. But the like idea of, I got nothing left over from the love that we knew, a love that I know that I never can share. Like it seems almost accidentally repetitive. And that just doesn't feel like it's up to Dylan's standards. Mm-hmm. If you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And then, Lord, it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. And then we have the, like, there's an instrumental break in this version. It's between the, the second and third verse instead of the third and fourth. And then the next one, next, so the third verse feel like my eyes are two pieces of broken glass. <laughs> okay. That's pretty harsh. Yeah. It's, it's a great, <laughs> it's like, it's, great visual. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And then I'm standing in the shadows waiting for the parade to pass. Okay. He's, you know, just burying his head. He is lost in this depression while everybody else seems to be having a good time. I love that line. Um, I really do love yeah, that line. I do, I do like it too. And then feel like the hand of fate has jammed its finger in my eye. <laughs> I get like, I, like, there's the visceral <laughs> intensity of these, of this, this verse and the fact that he keeps coming back to eyes. Like, what is about? A lot like, of eyes in these alternate eye. lyrics. Yeah. 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 And then I'm in the land of the lost where dreams come to die. Like the the hand of fate, just like the, the natural progression of life has maimed him. Like it's like just living the hard life that Dylan has lived has just taken its toll. 
Um, and just this idea where dreams come to die, just uh, that sadness again. Um, and then there's a repeat. Sometimes my burden seems more than I can bear. Lord, it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. And then that final verse, I can close my eyes and I see her from such a long way off. I can close my eyes and see her from such a long way off. Her lips were so tender. Her skin was so soft. Bringing it back to this girl again, that, that one that might have broken him. And then I've gone too far down life's beaten track and I'm praying the master will guide me back. What, yeah. like, what master do you think he might be talking about? Uh, well, I mean, as usual with him, it could either be, of course, God or yep. uh, the music, you know, music will guide him back. He's oh, interesting. Down. Yeah, I thought I took it. It's, I feel like his songs are always halfway, half one or the other. Mm-hmm. It could be, mu- you know, music or a woman or love at the very, yeah. at the very least. Uh, and yeah. that he's trying I, to like, he's felt that he's kind of veered off a little and now he's back to what he needs to be doing, uh, as a, as a artist. I like that. I like that idea. That's, that's not how I try. I, with, with as much as this version, feels more overtly religious, no morely overtly a conversation with God. If in fact he is saying, Lord, it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. Then I, when he says, I'm praying the master will guide me back. I took that as a reference to God um, and, and kind of harkening back to the, his, his like sort of born again, religious uh, uh, phase. So, I mean, that to me, like that couple, couple, it seems like he has lived a kind of wasted and sinful and damaging life. I, I do like the interpretation that he's like, yeah, I got to get back to the music. I, I've been wasting too much time on like cover songs and other kind of stuff like that I got to get back to my muse. I like that. But for the purposes of, of this analysis, what right. I, what yeah, I, I mean, down, to derail you. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. If he's, if he's kind of like lived this hard sinful life that he is, he is hoping and he is praying that God can save him and bring him back. And he's telling God, the violets are fading. The trees are bare. You know, winter's coming, but it's not dark yet. It's like Canada, like I'm. I feel like this last this last verse is a prayer for redemption, a prayer for salvation, I should say, and it directly contradicts the the version the the album version which the penultimate line as i mentioned is don't even hear the murmur of a prayer i don't hear the prayer i don't feel there's any chance of salvation or redemption and this version he is specifically overtly asking for it yeah and i just find that distinction again writing these two different versions completely different tones a week apart that that floors me yeah, <laughs> it's inconceivable to me this version being on the final record. I just can't, I can't hear it. I, I, I like it. I like that it's up tempo. It's such a nice change. Not on time out of mind. But not I on time out of mind. Like I just, for the life of him, like, yeah, this was never going to make it on time out of mind. Regarding these lines, the line about, uh, interesting, I thought, I've got nothing left over from the love that we knew, a love that I know I could never share, which again is very different from the finished version as you're just talking about, because in that version, the, the record version, it's the, he's deeply in love with this person. And the fact that they've dumped him is what's, you know, sending him off into this uh, whirlpool of despair. But here, a love I know I could never share. So is he saying that this person loved him, but he didn't love them back? And that's the problem because he's like, he couldn't share that love. Well, well, does that mean he can he he didn't feel it back to the person or he wasn't capable of giving it back? I thought that's an interesting 
line to throw in that he eventually, of course, discarded for what we get. Now, regarding the second verse, I love the the visual of my eyes feel like two pieces of broken glass, but it doesn't go with the rest of the verse. It's it's just kind of a random line. My eyes are two pieces of broken right. glass, but I'm standing in the shadow away for the parade. Okay, well, the broken like it's 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 an evocative line, but it doesn't. I feel like the rest of the song in the final version builds to something, and this kind of doesn't. So like yes, you were saying, I, I not again, not to criticize Bob Dylan as a writer at all, but yes, I, I think we know now that this version, these lines never made it out of this first take. Uh, you know, by the time he got to the second take version two, which is on fragments, it resembles much more closely the song that we know. So obviously Bob himself wasn't terribly happy with the lines. And so I, while I like some of them, I can't argue that they aren't, they weren't due for replacement. Yeah, yeah, I knew that. That's why I agree. Yeah, there's, like, I mean, very interesting ideas. Like you said, that that two eyes are two pieces of broken glass. It's almost, it's almost just a, it's a hard line to comprehend. Like the words, kind of like <laughs> they they're evocative and just like this sense of extremity. But it's like, what what does that actually mean? Or how do you how do you visualize that? <laughs> right. um, so, but yeah, no. I, so yeah, I completely agree. Like the, like it's it's a very interesting version. And I, again, like. The overall theme, the overall picture I, I take of this one, this version one is this very similar. It's, it's a, it's a man who has experienced hardship, who has experienced heartbreak, who is despondent, who is facing, possibly facing the end of, of life, but doesn't want to go out like this and mm-hmm. is actually, and is, is praying to God, give me another chance. Give me a little bit more time or, or just when I, when I like meet me at the gates and tell me like that there's, there's something else there. There's just, there's a, there's a hope. There's a prayer. There's a, a call to action. Like help me find the peace that I can't find in this life. Whereas the version that he would, he, he obviously wasn't satisfied with that version and he went to a much more cynical and bleak version, which is, Screw it. <laughs> As, uh, I'm dead. I'm dying. I'm just, and, and again, maybe, uh, I don't know. I, there's, there's still the part of me that, that's looking for the unreliable narrator and that, that sense of you can't really trust him because he says it's not dark yet, but <laughs> we're that, that sense of running out of time that I, I think that's, it's just, it's a fascinating juxtaposition between what I, I called like this passive suicide note. In a sense that death is coming, but I'm not ready. And yeah, that just like, just to hold these two songs against each other, it just, it blows my mind that they can be so different. And then the, the, the version, the version one that he didn't go with is just, it's kind of jaunty. In how, like, yeah, it is. Like, <laughs> like I have found, like I play it almost every day. Like when I'm driving, I want to hear it <laughs> just because I like the music of it. <laughs> music that um, kicked my son to preschool too. Not dark yet, but it's getting there. <laughs> he gets it. Yeah. <laughs> the first time it got released, I watched it in the context of the video because they put it out as a video. And I made a joke at the time that the video feels like a up-tempo peppy version of a David Fincher movie because <laughs> you've got these graphics with the words love 
and I forget what they like. Well, it's not dark yet. You see that at some point. And the the font choice is like a very gritty font, and it looks just like the trailer for the girl with the dragon tattoo, where they put up that that card that said the feel bad movie of Christmas or whatever, or the feel, <laughs> feel bad movie of the holiday season. It has that same look to it. I've maybe I'm not as smart as I should be. Like I can't for the life of me see how the video matches anything of what the song is because the the video is just all these pictures of kind of americana black and white photos some of them are in color but a lot of them are these sort of vintage photos of of kids and people doing things in old times and they're they're beautiful to look at the the photos chosen are wonderful but i don't see any thematic connection to what i'm hearing from the song did you uh yeah i i agree it's uh, like first of all i'm on the server, each each individual photo is beautiful, and if you actually just like stop and look at them, like composition wise, it like each each picture okay, could tell yeah. a story in and yeah. of itself. Yeah. Um. There's some glorious ones. Most of it, like you said, most of them being in black and white until like that musical interlude, and then we come back and a few of them are in color. Um. And it's interesting choices, the ones that are in color. Yeah. Trying to find like I I feel like they might have. I think they tried to find some thread between the pictures and the lyrics. Like there are some occasional things. The one, God, I think the only one that really kind of jumped out at me was the line that you, you signaled out that line, a love that I know that I never can share. The video, I think, partners that line with a photo of a newborn baby. Hmm. And I tried to see if I could... I, I, I tried to reverse engineer that and see if I could take anything about any any ideas of that photo and re and and put it into the the original lyric and see if like a love that I never could share is he talking about like replicating that love and and reproducing and like is he saying a love that he never could share because he can't have kids or something I think that's going way too far and reaching for something that's not there based on mm-hmm. an image that he never would have thought to link to the song as he was originally writing it 25 years ago. So yeah, I can't say that like, but that was like the one image that I found really kind of striking in the way it was coupled with a line, a lyric from the song beyond that very, very pretty images, but I don't know if you can really read more into that than it's just kind of the overall sense of, of fragments as a as a concept for these these bootleg sessions and each one of these images as a as a character as a line of dialogue or a song lyric or a melody or a note um each one of those pictures could represent something in the whole kaleidoscope of the album and the, all the bootlegs and outtakes and live cuts and and everything from that um it's just kind of that that's that's how I would interpret the the video as generously is not really a not an illustration of the song, but an illustration of the overall theme of the album and this box set repackaging of it. All right, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, we talked about uh, the episode I did with Jeff Slate where we talked about fragments in total, and he kind of got on the mm-hmm. idea that that the bootleg series at their best tell a story you know it's not just a collection of outtakes and alternate takes and yep. and you know studio chatter it's telling a story of the record that it's devoted to and it's whether it's another self-portrait 
or uh, you know what are the you know the the christian albums this and for this one it's telling the story of time out of mind and so i never thought of it that way but when you say it i can see that that okay yeah the video itself is not about dark yard not dark yet it's about fragments in total it's pieces of lives it's you know bits and pieces of people as they travel through their existence and so the it could just be that not dark yet was chosen again chosen as the first cut of the <laughs> this song is constantly <laughs> picked as the tip of the spear to get people interested it's so fascinating um i'm glad I mean, you know. what like what what would you go with like standing in the doorway or <laughs> I mean, uh yeah i mean that's you know i mean that's a that's a good question i mean look okay i think if i if i was you know if, if sony music came to me i would have gone with if if it's to sell fragments, let me put it that way. If it's to sell fragments, um, I might have gone with one of the March into the City cuts because that's really up tempo and kind of fun in its own way. But I mean, maybe they might have said, "Well, that's too obscure because that that song never even made it." it wasn't on the even record. on the album. Not yeah. not dark yet is a famous. However, you gauge these things, is a famous Bob Dylan song of the last twenty five years. It is. It's one of the mm-hmm. top five or six most famous Bob Dylan songs of the last of the last quarter century. So therefore, okay, it makes us, and it's fun to have this up-tempo version. I, I said this at the time, if, if someone had said, do you think there's an up-tempo version of the song? I said, there's no way, there's no way there's an up-tempo. <laughs> yeah. And now of course, now there is, we know, of course there is. So version two, which was, as we talked about, it was recorded a week later. Obviously he has jettisoned all of those lines and he's gotten to the version that we see. And I find version two to be a nice warm up for what we have on the final version. I like version two, but to me, it is just, it's an inferior version of the one on the record. Is that where you are on this? Yeah, I agree. It's, it's pretty, but it's, it's, it feels in its own way. It feels like a demo for yeah. the version that we get. Like if, if you almost looked at version one as a completely different song thematically, uh, and, and style and tonally, stylistically, tempo wise, um, then version two feels like the rough cut of what would become the album version. Right. And he knew he had it at that point. I think yeah, lyrically yeah. he knew he had it. And those, yeah. so that's, that's how we end up getting the version that we get. And then of course there is the remix, which to me, um, to my ears, which again, I always admit are very unsophisticated when it comes to these things is to me one of the closest to the Lanois version. Uh, that we get in the remix of the whole concept of the album been has been remixed. There were some versions that I immediately noticed the difference. I thought lovesick was particularly striking and dirt road blues. The, those first two immediately, I was like, Oh, these sound very different with yeah, all the yeah, kind of Lanois isms. Not, I don't mean that in a sort of pejorative way, but I mean, with all no, the, no, the no, stuff no, yeah, we come I, to associate I, yeah. with Daniel Lanois stripped away. This one to me is pretty close. You know, I didn't notice it. I, I I think you're right. And again, I go back to the story that's told in the book. I don't remember which one of the essays it's in, but one of them as chronicling sort of basically said, Dylan stopped the recording and, and Lanois wanted a little bit more. He wanted to do more with the song. <laughs> he didn't, Lanois didn't think they were finished. And Bob said, no, we're done. So maybe <laughs> that's just because like there wasn't as much to change, um, between. The, the sort of like the, the remix version and the, the album version. Like maybe it's just, it didn't have as much meddling. I think, I think that you're, you're absolutely right. I do think the original version 
there's something about like the the guitar at the very end that, like that there's a little bit of a there's some there's something at the end of the song after all of the verses are over as the song is sort of fading out there's a guitar sound that i notice on the original version that i don't hear on the remix and i miss it hmm. so for that reason i think i like the original album version more than the remix, but it's by like inches. Okay. Um, there are, there are versions of, of the remix that I do like, and maybe that's recency bias. Maybe that's just like, you know, prisoner <laughs> of the moment, having, having listened to this so much more recently that I find I like the remix versions a little bit more than the originals. Um, but then again, like I, I told you, like three of the songs on the albums, I would have gone with of takes that didn't make the cut. Um, that I just find them, them more fun to listen to. Um, actually, one one other thing, and forgive me, this is a tangent, but it just it just occurred to me when we talked about the album at twenty five, you know, uh, several years ago when we recorded that one, five years ago, I guess when when we recorded that one, we we briefly talked about Red River Shore, and I had I had heard it and I listened to it for that recording, but I didn't spend as much time with it as I should have. And I, I know I was a little bit more distracted at the time, but in the years since then, that has become one of my all time favorite Dylan albums. And I, yeah, like, I know you, you were really like, there's something special to this song. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'll take your word for it. But <laughs> afterwards, like I, I listened to the song and I was like, Oh, this is such a pretty song. And I, the, I know you did the whole episode to it. And that like, really, I dove into it then too, when you did the episode, but yeah, Red River Shore. Ooh, that is a beautiful song. And if that had actually made the album, maybe that, maybe I, I'd be talking about that one because that's such a, that, that could have been my favorite one on the album. So. It it is really amazing uh, to think about, and I, I it's funny every time I repeat myself, I feel like I need to mention that I'm repeating myself, which is me repeating myself. Now I'm incepting myself here on this stuff, so forgive me, everybody. But one of the things that hey, I yeah, find, every every podcast is somebody's first. Every episode, I guess, yeah, I is guess somebody's so. first. Podcast. Fair enough. Fair enough. One of the things I find so amazing about pouring through these sessions or like the more blood, more tracks is that like. He comes to a recording session with this base material, you know, and there are four million ways to approach it. And it can get to the point where I would imagine that, you know, on the one hand, it sounds a little freeing, but it also could be paralyzing when there's so many roads to take. How do you know which one? You can't take them all. And maybe you're always left with that slight feeling of, oh, if I had only just tried it that one other way. And (laughs) maybe, you know, I don't think the guy is given enough credit for being, I mean, he's not known compared to say his, some of his contemporaries, like the Beatles who were like in the studio were very focused. Paul Simon, who from what I hear is like very focused or like sting. Uh, I mean, I remember I heard a statistic once that sting, there are no like alternate songs with sting or alternate takes. He goes in, he cuts exactly what he hear what you hear on the record and he leaves. I'm like, wow, that, that's some serious goddamn focus, you know, to be able to be yeah, like, sure. boom, done, 10 takes, bye. You know, he's like Krusty the Clown or something. And he just in and out <laughs> in you know, five minutes. But when we now, what we've heard, what we've heard, and there are so many versions, there's so many different roads to take on virtually every one of these songs. I can imagine it had to be kind of paralyzing. And it's and funny, you mentioned Lenoir, and we think about like the stuff that Lenoir is famous for, the, the sort of oral soundscapes. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the weird sounds and like a you know, man in a long black coat with the crickets and, and all this yep. stuff. But 
there's lots of stuff that a producer who's working at his level is doing that we never hear. You know, we don't know what he might have been the guy who had to kick Bob in the ass a little bit to be like, no, all right, let's keep working on this. Don't give up on it. You know, let's keep going. Now, obviously, Bob is the final say in all these things. But like, you know, I think about now that we've heard all these versions, like you could make when I when I heard Time Out of Mind the first time and then I listened to it for however many hundreds of times since I was like, this is one of his masterpieces. This stands as one of his great achievements. And I can't imagine any other version of this existing. Yeah, there'll be some slight variations, but this had to be the thing. Right. And now I've heard it. No, that's completely wrong. Because like with the versions we have access to, anybody could make three or four versions of Time Out of Mind. And yeah. they, they might all work to different levels. Some people would say, no, don't lose this song over that song or whatever. But for me, I'm like, God, if if I was playing God, I'd be like, well, I'd have March into the City in there. I'd have Red River Shore in there. I would probably drop Make You Feel My Love. You know, I mean, like, and it's amazing to me that something that I regarded as kind of etched in stone as a, as a 1997 come out of nowhere masterpiece. And yet there are potentially four or five to any person equally valid versions of the record you can compile. That's unreal to me. It is. It is. And it's, I mean, getting, getting back to like the, the, the recording. I mean, I think like maybe it's, maybe it's not so much focus as a Zen kind of like just being of the moment and, and kind of following whatever inspiration or whatever, like just like feels true in that particular moment and like knowing it, it also, I mean, it must take a remarkable amount of, of trust and appreciation from the band, especially if you're going in like there with, I mean, session musicians, I think are, are kind of used to it. And, and Bob has this familiar uh, like repertoire, but like the guys that go in there is like, okay, we might be in the studio for 12 hours today and <laughs> he's got a fragment, but we're going to kind of figure it out together. And, and a lot of this is just spitballing and, and sense of like self-discovery. But if you trust in the vision and the talent of the leader, I mean, I got to say, you know, that, that sense of discovery, it's got to be really damn fun. And you got to be like, you know, this is going to be hard work and it might be insanely boring for a couple of hours. But <laughs> once we find it, once we get that spark, ho, everybody's jamming, everybody's firing together. And Bob will let us know if we're there or not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's got to be, I, I would assume that's just a hell of a fun ride to go on. Um, maybe, maybe it sounds like it's, it could be incredibly stressful, but maybe so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, that's, that's their job. <laughs> they're dedicated. It's their to job to do. That's another. true. I mean, I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you're thinking about how stressful it would be to like compile this album and like put all of these like masters together and like, like figure out what takes to that. That's because you're thinking about doing it like, as a hobby after all of the other crap you do for 23 <laughs> hours a day. If that's the only thing you have to worry about for I never two thought months, of it that way. That's, that's if that's true. the only thing on your plate, you, you, you figure it out. <laughs> I mean, that is true. I, I'm thinking it from my wage slave mentality of, of working, yeah. <laughs> working my regular job. And, oh shit. Tonight I got to remaster Bob's time out of mind. Right. <laughs> 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 I can take the dog for a walk. Uh, I gotta pay the, I gotta pay the rent. Oh shit. I gotta, I gotta reorder the songs. Oh damn it. I don't have time for this. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I mean, 
even thought of it that way. But if it's your job, yeah, I, I can yeah. see that. So I, I you mean, can always outsource it. I think I, I what was it? I tried to remember. Um, oh yeah, because I I also I've recently recorded a U two episode of Fire and Water Records that will will come out on St. Patrick's Day. Um, but I think for I think the album The Joshua Tree produced by Daniel Lanois. Lanois, yeah. Um, I, what did I read? I think the band, it might have been that album, it might have been a different album, but the band basically gave it to the, that, like all of the tracks to the wife of, maybe it was Lanois, maybe it was like Brian Eno or somebody, and they're like, we want Where the Streets Have No Name to be the first song and Mothers of the Disappeared to be the last song. You, you figure out what order they go in. <laughs> And like they just outsourced it to somebody's wife who put all the songs in the order that they went in. I guess sometimes it's got to be like that, you know. You just yeah. at a certain point, it's like okay, it, it really is. It's remarkable, uh, and and the fact that not dark yet is as good as it is. I mean, again, it's so amazing that we get to see these building blocks. Uh, you know, that you get to see where he was along the path of these things and again, and and. As you mentioned, Regency bias. I, I think Dylan fans, maybe, or I speak for just for myself, tend to like the newer version just because it's new, as opposed to the one you've lived with for 25, 30, 40 years. This is one of the, this is one of those times where I say, you know what? I love that up tempo alt version, but I'm happy that the ver, the quote unquote final version is the one on the record that he went with. Uh, because that, that first version is, is a fun lark, but it's not, it's they can't go the distance the way the album version does. Yeah. So now live wise, we did talk about this a little bit and that he has done it live. It's been performed uh, 166 times live, which is funny because I just looked it up. The when we did the first show, basically that number was 154 because <laughs> he he had done it up <laughs> okay. until 2012, and then since you and I recorded that episode, he he did it about a dozen more times in 2019, and then he's put uh-huh. it aside since. Now, I will say, this is not a, forgive me, everybody, this is not a song I want to hear live. I've heard it live. There's a live version on Fragments. I feel like this is just testing his audience's patience. To me, this mm-hmm. just song just doesn't really work in a concert setting to me. And uh, it's it, Version all, one would. <laughs> the I, well, version would. one might. Yeah, there you go. But the, all the versions I've heard, it's to me, it's just, I it's not that I can't tolerate ballads or slow songs or sad songs in a concert setting, but this one just to me, every time I've heard him do it live, I just kind of go, okay, all right. He's yeah. all right. It's it's okay. And then what's the next song? This mm-hmm. is just not one that I feel like is just a great concert song. Again, maybe people may disagree, but for me, not totally. Yeah. I, the, the one, the only time that I saw Dylan live, he did play it in that show, but it wasn't necessarily memorable yeah so it's so it's so internal it just feels so sure yeah yeah you know i mean not that his other songs aren't but it just there's just something about it where i just feel like you know and the live i mean again i like that they compiled a a live version of their whole record song that you don't yeah you don't express this song to ten thousand people at a time yeah (laughs) there's just something about that so and again i mean 166 times is not nothing it's, you know, that there are some songs he's done twice, uh, you know, it's, it's not Watchtower. It's not Highway 61 Revisited, but 166 times is not, not nothing for a song of this length. Um, so, you know, I mean, he's still willing to kind of give it out and, and give it a try, but it isn't it just amazing though, that you can talk about how much you love the song. It's your favorite song. And then he can then say, Oh yeah, well, here's 
here's a bunch of alternates that you never would have guessed existed. It just he just keeps doing this. It it could almost be like he's trolling me, but, but yeah, almost, almost. He wanted you back on the show, Ryan. He was like, "Hey, Ryan hasn't been back. Shoot shooting star. We got to get him back on here." What is, <laughs> we, Wasting time on Legionnaire's disease. What's that about? (laughs) I was going to say, I am thrilled that we got to talk about this song twice. I can't wait to come back next week to talk about With God on Our Side. (laughs) (laughs) The alternate version of The God on Our Side. I've got more to say. (laughs) Hey and Blood. We're just going to redo all your songs, Ryan. We're just going to just do 2023, the year of Ryan Daly. So, so, all right. Well, as we're we're wrapping up here, um, I haven't had a chance to ask you the exit question uh, that I was at the time, I think I've gone through maybe maybe two or three exit questions since you've been on the show last, but the main one I've been asking is if there's any, and I, I probably know the answer to this, but I'm going to let you answer it. If there's any album that you could, any recording session that of Bob's that you could sit in on, what would that be? It could be anything. It could be an album, could be his audio book, theme time radio hour, anything. What would you like to just be in the corner and watch live happen? Oh, that's ooh, good question. Uh, the first, the first one that jumps to mind is Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts. So you'd bl- um, blood on the tracks, and you'd want the whole you'd that. Oh, oh yeah, you, well yeah, I, I, I meant I, I'm giving you like, an entire watching album song. or whatever. Yeah. Oh, okay. If like it's like a whole album studio session. Yeah. Um, I, I mean. Since we've talked so much about time out of mind, and now having spent so much time like reading all about this, I, I feel like I know enough about this one. So, gosh, I think I think probably Oh Mercy, the other Lanois one, or Bringing It All Back Home would be another one that <laughs> I would. It's meant to be, be a fun question, right? It's not meant to torture you. It's this. This isn't really know, going to happen. I, just, so. oh, I know. I just. I, I would say Oh Mercy. I would say Oh Mercy. Okay. You want to sit there and watch him and Lanois throw chairs at each other and shit? <laughs> I, I really kind of do. That would be kind of, really would be kind of amazing. So, uh, well, okay. Let me ask you an easy. So I'll, there's the other exit question I've been doing. Maybe this one's a little easier. Uh, Sony comes to you and says, "Next bootleg series is your choice, Ryan. We have everything. We haven't been. We've been lying. We have it all. We've just been hiding it. It can be anything. So, what what does Ryan Daly want as the next bootleg series? I know. I'm sorry. I uh, just to just to be difficult. <laughs> just just to be difficult. An entire bootleg series. On things have changed from the Wonder Boys soundtrack. Uh, okay, I mean that would be a very <laughs> thin release, but I would love to hear alternates of that. I've never heard an alternate of that. He's done it live a million I mean, it times. It could be an EP. <laughs> it could yeah, it just be like a short, like five five song EP. Yeah, no, that, that's a perfect. No, we don't have, we don't have to kill ourselves. No, I, I maybe like the soundtrack. Your, your song guests are going to give you every other album and every other thing. I'm going to go with something different. I appreciate that, Ryan. So, well, uh, awesome. Ryan, thank you so much for coming back. It's been too long. I really appreciate it. I love your Fire and Water record shows that you do with your brother. They're, they're always fascinating in their own way. And they, you cover some aspects of, you cover some music I would never, <laughs> I would never think to cover or listen to. And you guys really have a lot of fun. So it's, it's always fun to talk to you. And so thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell people where they can find you here on this very network? Here on this very Fire and Water Podcast Network, uh, you can usually find me every Thursday, the host of Cheers Cast, 
which is my uh, episode by episode chronicle of my favorite TV sitcom of all time, which is Cheers. We are currently on season six, which is the first season where Kirstie Alley comes in as the female lead, having a ton of fun with the show in the new format. That's almost every Thursday Cheers cast. But as you said, the the other show that I'm I it was on hiatus for a little while, and I'm trying to bring it back in full force is Fire and Water Records where me and a guest, oftentimes my brother, but sometimes somebody else, we jump on music and we either talk about a particular band or artist or a particular theme, like it might be a holiday music, Valentine's Day, Christmas, something like that, uh, or talk about soundtrack uh, songs from movie soundtracks, things like that. I can tell you just coming up very soon in the next like month or so, I've got an episode on U2 with my guest Omar Yudin, an episode on David Bowie with my brother and David Ace Gutierrez, and then uh, still to be recorded an episode on the songs of the late Burt Bacharach with Sean Myers, who's also part of the network. Oh, um, that's So those fun. three episodes, those are going to be three really good episodes. Looking forward to all of those. And those should be out in March and April. Oh, I didn't, I knew the David Bowie one was in the, in the hopper, but I didn't know Burt Bacharach. That's, yep. I thought, <laughs> listen to that. That's very cool. Well, Ari, Ryan, thank you so much for, for coming back. I always like talking to you. And of course, everybody, you can find back episodes of the show on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, please just go to patreon.com slash podcast, like these fine folks did. Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Jordy, Wacky Meckle, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. And the album of the year is... Time out of mind. <laughs> <I'll kill him. laughs>